Hello and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod and welcome to 2024. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host. I'm joined by Mark LaRocco. And Mark, here it is, episode 70, kicking off 2024. Can I tell you Happy New Year? Yes, you can. I would appreciate it if you didn't, though. I think you should tell our listeners <laughs> oh, Happy sorry. New Year. I didn't mean to offend uh, you. <laughs> because <laughs> it is January 23rd, and so it's just it's too late to say it. But since this is our first show of 2024, I think that we're legally allowed to tell the listeners Happy New Year. So Good. You know, I, I really appreciate having you here <laughs> as a co-host and as free legal counsel. <laughs> That's right. That's, uh, that's, that's keeping us under budget, for sure. So, uh, yeah, so it's the new year. It's 2024. Things are, it's, it kind of feels like it's taken a little while to get things going so far. Um, I saw a movie I'm going to talk about here in a minute that uh, is, a, is a, a new release. But I think we're going to spend most of our time tonight talking about the news. It seems mm. that some nominations have been announced. That's right. Uh, not just the nominations you're thinking of, either. And... Uh, yeah, I think there's so there's some stuff going on. So I think it's uh, I think it's time we we got talking again. So how about how about uh, how about I talk about Night Swim? Did you hear about this one? Yeah, I did. That's a Blumhouse production, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, they did uh, yeah. Megan and Get Out. And right. They kind of have sort of cornered the market on these little horror kind of effective they, horror thrillers. Did they do Get Out as well? Was that them? I, oh, maybe, I know that they've that been was... very, very prolific. I think they well, no, did. Well, you could be right. Yeah, I think they did. I was thinking it was yeah. A24, but no, I'm pretty sure that was Blumhouse. That's right. It's, it's, those are kind of the two big... Now, A24, I want to say, did Dream Scenario, which kind of... We thought it was a comedy, and then it turned out to be more of a horror movie. But anyhow... Uh, see, I guess, I guess the reason I don't know is because my association with Night Swim has more to do with the obligatory timing of its release. Because it always seems, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it always seems like there is this obligatory kind of mid-grade horror movie to kick off every year. Mm -hmm. Usually from the first week or two of the year, there's some, you know, and and whether it's it's Bloomhouse, whether it's A24, but it's just kind of this there and gone. It's January... Obviously, studios are not putting out the cream of the crop. Right. If it was that good, it would have been a Christmas holiday release, or it would have come later in the year. And and Night Swim, uh, is really just not good. Perfectly suited for that that role. It's it's not it's not terrible. It's not particularly scary, which kind of undercuts it right there. Hmm. And it's it's also it's also one of these horror movies that I found myself wishing that they had gone harder in one direction or the other because they don't really like I think they're trying to be scary and they're trying to set a tone, which kind of works sometimes, but not really. But then it also has the potential to be really funny and fun. Mm -hmm. And so they could be one of these crazy over the top you know, maybe kind of towards cocaine bear type of things, you know, where they just really lean into the absurdity of it. And they didn't do it. Um, mm. The whole movie centers around this. Basically, it's a haunted swimming pool, <laughs> which when, you know, and when I put it like that, it's like, oh, yeah, it, you could it, really it have could a lot sound of fun, fun with this, right? Yeah, it could sound it's absurd. The killer, it's the killer pool, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody who goes in, there's some something crazy happens. And that's kind of what's going on in this movie. The story follows this family that has moved into this house. And the dad is a professional ball player who is uh, dealing with some, some medical issues and trying to recover, trying to get back, you know, his his top form. Uh, he's played by Wyatt Russell. What's stranger, though, is that the wife is Carrie Condon, mm-hmm. who From was Banshees. in Banshees of Inisherin. And bless her heart, I'm watching her in this movie thinking, what are you doing here? Why are you in this crappy, low-budget horror movie? You're such a good actress. You've done so much better stuff. Everybody's got to pay the bills, right? Like, I mean, I guess, I guess you know, you find work where you find work. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and so, so it's, you know, the family's having tough times and they show up at this new house and the pool starts doing weird things. And 
of course, there's a reason for it, and it's a little bit more grounded in, I don't know, well, I don't want to give away too much in case anybody actually does want to go see it, but, and I'm not going to say anything that's going to encourage you to, to jump into it. It just, jump into like it. I said that's, at the beginning. That's a good one. Hey, I didn't even, look at that. By the way, when, you, just, when you're, just a natural. when you're first describing it, I thought another alternative title for the movie could be Deadpool, but that's Ooh. already been taken, so. I'm just trying to think of a way that the title could actually improve the quality of the movie. Because <laughs> even with a better title, I don't... And like I said, I mean, this is far from like the worst movie I've ever seen. It's just perfectly slated as that, well, it's the new year and people need something to go see. And, you know, it, I, I think horror movies are really good for making money off of low budgets. And that's probably why this was produced and put out there. Yep. Dump you, Eric. But there's... But... I, I guess I guess this is another one for me that just falls into that category of, you know, if you really wanted to make this good, if you really want to have some fun with this, you should have gone cocaine bear with it mm-hmm. and just like make this the killer pool movie and really, in fact, the movie does kind of hint for a while at some, some real sense of humor. There's a, a very brief scene and it's the only time this guy turns up. They have a pool pool guy come and service the pool when they're when they first move in uh ben sinclair is the actor who plays him and he's a he's a hoot he's fun and and like everybody saw the movie with me was just kind of thinking oh man it's too bad you know we'd rather watch a movie about that guy oh yeah you know because <laughs> he's just kind of like this zany over the top you know really funny and so- i can't remember if he was like a conspiracy theorist but like just much more colorful and engaging a character than everything else you're seeing it, it sounds like for you, the movie like takes itself more seriously than it deserves to maybe. Well, it takes, and, it takes itself like it should have too seriously for the level of horror that it delivers. Like if it, yeah. if they were able to make it a genuinely scary movie, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not saying that every horror movie has to be a comedy. It's just, they didn't do enough to make it scary to justify the tone. And it makes, it left me thinking, you know, with this premise, you probably should have gone the other direction, just full bore, and had a good time with it, and it would have turned out better. So maybe more Evil Dead Two, than like yeah 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 her absolutely another good title. What lies beneath the surface oh. of the water? <laughs> Too long, huh? Um, I'm just like you were you were there, <laughs> and then I ruined it, and then you lost it. <laughs> what lies beneath the top? surface of the water of a backyard pool yeah that's too long while taking a night swim (laughs) and uh so um yes here we are and that's that's a i mean i know a couple other movies have come out uh the beekeeper i haven't seen now i have to just say i i refused or just i don't know they had a press screening for mean girls so they just came out with the the adaptation of the Broadway musical, which was a Broadway adaptation of the Tina Fey movie from 20 years ago, um, which has become this bizarre subgenre that I just can't stand. <laughs> um, do you, do you follow what I'm talking about here? Well, no, no. You mean so, like when a movie becomes a musical but it started out as a non-musical or what? Well, so so Mean Girls comes out 20 years ago, right? right. The Lindsay Lohan movie. Mm-hmm. Classic, kind of 2000s, funny, yeah. off-the-wall high school movie, right? Um, years later, I don't know how long, because that's what they want to do with everything now is, that, okay, well, let's turn it into a Broadway musical. So they turn it into a Broadway musical, Mean Girls, right? And now... They've taken the Mean Girls Broadway musical and have turned that back into a movie, mm-hmm. even though it came from a movie originally. And I just think that's dumb. Right. I mean, I guess if it's good, it's good. Like if it was a good, had good music and good songs and whatever. Uh, so I didn't see it, but my wife saw it and she loves the original, the 2004. She didn't, uh, she didn't like the musical. She just I'm thought, glad. yeah, she just did not like it. Um, <laughs> because... 
Because I don't want well, people to like it. I don't want it to be good. I, think, say, I just think it's dumb. Yeah. It's like, hey, I got an idea. Let's turn this Broadway musical back into a movie, even though it was adapted from a movie in the first place. Yeah. That's just dumb. I guess, I, I mean, I, I guess in this case, you're right. I wouldn't say that's just always a hard and fast rule, because, again, it depends on how maybe they make improvements to it, and maybe the music actually has is good, like there are good songs. Oh, don't be so diplomatic. I like counselor. musicals. I mean, I I'm I think of the two of us, I probably... <laughs> It's not even willing. just that I hate musicals. It's not even just that. It's just this idea that, like, I mean, if if you if you want, are you you're just saying you want something original? Because I agree well, with you is there. It, I mean, is this not a perfect illustration of the lack of originality? Where not only do they have to adapt pre-existing material all the time, mm-hmm. but they're going to recycle it back and forth between the same two genres. Well, it's just yeah, but I guess I mean. We, if we're complaining about like recycling something that's that's very recent, I mean, look at the how there are three different Spider Men in the last twenty years, right? And and not as sure. many people probably complain about that, right? But there are three, literally three, like versions of the Spider Man story. I guess four if you're counting Spider Verse. No, I, I feel I feel the same way. Yeah, but this. I mean, and it is pretty recent. I mean, twenty years is not that long ago in terms of sort of remaking a movie, but. Um, yeah, I guess, and it's Tina Fey that's done the whole thing. She wrote, I mean, she wrote the original movie, she starred in it, she wrote the Broadway version, and I, mm-hmm. she's, I believe she's written this one too, and so, um, anyway, and I've heard it has some of the same actresses playing smaller Still roles. lame, dude. Like Lindsay Lohan. Still lame. But, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I. I mean, if it was one of those movies where I, if it had like really hit hard and and seemed to be well received, I probably would have seen it. But now it's not really on my list. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, here again, if if it was that big a deal, they probably wouldn't have released it in January. Yeah, I don't know. January. Every now and then, you get a little surprise hit in like January or February. In fact, I think Get like Out. Paddington Two. Get Out was a February. I wasn't even kidding. Paddington Two was good. Oh, hey, I let's just talk saw about that. Some good stuff. For the Did first you? time, yeah, we watched that as a oh, family. Oh, good. Let's talk about some good stuff. Yeah. I'm tired of talking about bad movies. Let's talk about good stuff. Paddington 2 was great. But, I mean, it's not a 2023 nice. movie, but, yeah, it was really good. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. I would take Paddington 2 over about 90% of what I saw last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll use that as a segue because at the beginning of this year, 2024, I was still catching up on some 2023 movies for the final film critics vote for the utah film critics association um our last episode i think i talked to well we talked about our top movies of the year yeah and i saw a few more from 2023 and luckily i don't think they would have changed my final my final five yeah definitely not the final five i think i think my five is unchanged except i might because i was i was kind of waffling between past lives and holdovers for my top top spot wasn't i Mm -hmm. yeah i think past lives might have finally overtaken holdovers Mm. but they're still just pretty much one and two one way or the other i would say yeah um anyway so in order to get to that final vote i watched a bunch of well not a bunch i mean there were there were still several movies that made the final ballot that I still hadn't seen. And so I cranked through a bunch of them over that first week of, uh, first week of January. Um, one of which I believe you also saw. And so how about I, how about I throw it over to you to talk about the foreign film that we both saw at the beginning of this year? Oh, society of the snow, right? Is yeah, this is the one that I No, it was expendables Four, <laughs> wasn't it? Expe- oh, Okay. Well, fine. Talk about that one, too. No, I we saw this movie um, that came on Netflix. It was a 2023 release in the U.S. and in Spain, which turns out it's a Spanish movie. I did not realize that. It, this is a movie that was released on Netflix on January 4th, but because it was in theaters, it's eligible for the 2023 uh, mm-hmm. award season, like the Oscars. Um, this is a true story of a Uruguayan rugby team uh, that was traveling to a, a game or a tournament in Chile in October of 1972 and crashed in the Andes Mountains in a very bad spot to crash. Um, and I think there were around 45 
45-ish people on board yeah. the plane. <clears throat> and the story is just, it's a survival tale. It's kind of one of those gripping, classic, harrowing, brutal, gross at times, uh, survival yeah. tale of what what you have to do to survive um, in kind of a harsh, unforgiving climate of no food, although there is some food that we can talk about uh, maybe. And, um, well, I think, I think, yeah, I think, we do you think people know? Because, yeah, I'm sure people well, know. That's the whole crux of the, I mean, that's the selling. Point, right. And right? it's a 50 like, year old people... story. It's been told in multiple documentaries, multiple movies, including the nineties version uh, called alive yeah, with alive. Ethan Hawke. Right. And did you see that? I did not see that. Uh, no, but I, I didn't realize those two were connected until right before I saw this. Um, and this apparently you just it was another cannibal movie. Well, there's a bunch of cannibal <laughs> movies, but this apparently is like the most faithful retelling of of what really happened because this guy knew some of the survivors. The guy that wrote the book on which the film is based knew some of the survivors of the of the plane and kind of got their stories. Apparently, there were I think there were sixteen, um, and so yeah, I I some one of the things I liked about it was. They so it, this story. I mean, it starts obviously before they they get into their plane crash, and you start to get to know a few of the of the, the characters in it. And then when they crash, some of them are die immediately, and then the others, as they start to as they have to figure out how they're going to survive and talk about whether or not they should eat any of the bodies of of you know for food because there's no food. And they talk about, well, will God forgive us if we do this? You know, like, well, we need to survive. God wants us to live. And it's, you know, con uh, compared to like taking, for example, taking the sacrament, taking like the, the, the body of Christ or something that we all, that we can be sustained by. And um, Did they bring that up. I think that was in the book from what I heard. I don't okay. think that I was, was going to say, I don't, I don't remember movie. that being in the movie. Yeah. But they, um, I, it's, you know, and. I, one thing I liked about it is, yeah, there's definitely some kind of brutal, gory scenes in it that I think justify the rating. But I, I was a little nervous, almost kind of queasy, when it was going to get to the parts where they began eating the bodies. I was like, oh, what are they going to show? You know, are they? Are you just going to see somebody like chewing on an arm and oh, cutting God. up something? I was worried. I was like, because I knew it was <laughs> what it was, you know. And I like how they did it. I thought it was. Oh yeah, it was as very tasteful as it could be, and and I noticed that they, you know, and they kind of had this plan on on how they wouldn't know what, you know, what they were eating exactly, and and uh, yeah. you know, I don't want to spoil it too much, but you know, it's it's I thought that that part was pretty well done, um, and it does focus quite a bit on faces. I, I so many of the scenes alternate between extreme close-ups of faces, and then like these establishing shots of like an entire section of the Andes mountains, you know, and you see the little plane and the people there, you know, oh, like yeah. it's a, way below. It's a gorgeously shot. movie. It really is. Like it's, it's such a, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess it's kind of tragic at the same time, but it's such a beautiful, desolate, remote spot that is just kind of breathtaking. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's just the photographer in me speaking, but like, it's just a beautiful place. Yeah. And, and I want to say that, did they go back to some of the original location mm -hmm. to do some shooting? Yeah. I, think, I thought I'd heard Some that. of it was filmed in Spain. I think some in like Argentina. And I, there were a few shots that were in the original location. Um, and yeah. yeah, it was, there were multiple shots. It was actually kind of an expensive shoot. Um, I, and of course with Netflix and the release, you know, I don't know how much, you know, how much money do, it really does make, but um, it's, I you know I thought it was pretty good. It was it didn't like blow me away. You know it wouldn't really have made any of my list, but it did get yeah some, some nominations for Oscars. So no, that's that's kind of how I felt like felt about it was that I was I was glad I saw it. Um, you know it was it was definitely a worthy inclusion mm -hmm. on the ballot. Um, it was not <clears throat> it was not my favorite foreign film of the year. Yeah. Um, not not even really the top two or three, honestly, uh, but you know, worth seeing. Yeah. And I mean, like like you said, I I think the only, and I think there might have been some scattered language in it as well. But like the only content that really would have, unless it's just kind of grisly subject matter, 
was just the crash, you know, was, was kind of violent. It was, um, it was really even, violent. Even yeah. then, well, I don't know. I, there, there's close-ups of like bones breaking and bases getting yeah. smashed, people getting pulled to the plane. And I mean, it was, it was, and then from then on, I mean, it's just quite a bleak movie, but mm-hmm. I mean, when you think what it's about, it, it kind of has to be, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. um, and I think it was also the rating. There's scenes where they're being washed. Their bodies are so emaciated, and that's right. That's right. Like, yeah, there's some there's some nudity, right? In a a very, I don't know. It kind of reminded how, how me. Would you even describe here's it? what I thought when I saw it. it. Reminded me of the Schindler's List nudity, of like, yeah. are those really like? Did they really? Did they use some kind of CGI to make this guy look like he weighed seventy nine pounds? Like he hasn't eaten right. in two months, and you, you just see a naked body, and it's just it's yeah icky, you know. And that's kind of how I felt because yeah, these guys were on the on the mountain for a long time. I mean, a couple months and hardly eating, and mm-hmm. you know that's why. See, this is interesting, and maybe this segues into another thing we want to talk about. It was nominated not only for best international feature. But hair and makeup, which I wouldn't have guessed. Oh, okay. I, I just would not have thought about that. But then the more I kind of thought about what they show in the movie, yeah. I'm like, I guess I could see that. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It, it, it does make sense. It's not showy, though, like some hair and makeup nominees. But, yeah, I could kind of mm-hmm. see that. Well, you, you've already you've already teased it a little bit, mm-hmm. so maybe we ought to just jump in. Um, so the Oscar nominations for last year were released today and uh lots of lots of familiar familiar culprits mm-hmm. on there uh including several we have discussed uh several that we have not discussed but that i saw along with society of the snow in preparation for the vote um so yeah let's so uh let's just jump in with the best picture list here yeah and uh so i'll just i'll just read through them real quick and then kind of double back okay so we got american fiction um which i saw not before the last episode but i just i saw earlier this month uh anatomy of a fall which i think we talked about as one of my favorite uh foreign films barbie which you saw and now i have seen so <laughs> finally i had the barbenheimer experience and uh, of course oppenheimer's on the list as well I, I love how you as as like the film critic who sees like 200 movies a year just had the barbenheimer experience a couple weeks ago <laughs> like the last person Begr- begrudgingly begrudgingly you saw both of them finally <laughs> yeah anyway keep going yeah yeah uh the holdovers which we've talked a lot about killers of the flower moon we've talked a lot about maestro i can't remember if we've talked about this a lot but i know that i saw it earlier uh, Past Lives, one of my favorites of last year, maybe my favorite of last year, and then the own, uh, oh Zone of Interest, uh, which did we talk about Zone of Interest? I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I okay. I, I did see that one. Okay. Maybe I saw that one at the beginning of this month too. Um, and then Poor Things, which is the one movie on the list that I did not see. Okay. Um, so I don't know where do you want to start. Do you do you want I mean, to hear my Barbenheimer take, or do you want to? You can do your Barbenheimer take. I mean, I don't mind just talking about the nominations, like the snubs, the surprises, whatever, and not. We don't need to like get into each and every film, you know. Um, yeah, I would well, be curious I to mean, hear what you thought, though, because you hadn't, you haven't really given the review on on the pod of of Barbenheimer. Yeah, and well, I mean, if I touch on. If I touch on the movies that I haven't already covered, um, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave Barbenheimer to the end. I'll just kind of cut, get to these other ones quickly. Um, we mentioned Zone of Interest. So, so this movie is, it's set during World War II, and it follows a, the family of the leader or manager of a uh concentration camp so it's like the main bad guy who's in charge of the concentration camp goes home at the end of the day and this movie follows the day-to-day life of his family who's on the opposite side of the fence living this normal life does that make sense Mm -hmm. so the idea is 
isn't this awful how these people can just live a normal life right next door to this hell on earth? Mm -hmm. Which is a really interesting concept. I got a little bored with it over the course of like two hours. Hmm. It isn't a story where a lot happens. There's not a whole lot of plot to it. It's really just kind of a sequence of like the, uh, the mom, the mother, the wife, she is the same. That's the same actress who was in anatomy of a fall. Sandra Hewler. Yes. Yeah. And she, in, in one scene, she's like trying on a mink coat that came from one of the, you know, one of the Jews in the camp. And so, so it's made clear that these people are, that, that the family is aware that they are benefiting from, oh, look what came in today, you know, mm-hmm. and here's these clothes and here's this jewelry and stuff. And I think the movie just kind of wants to say, like, here is how evil can be so matter of fact and yeah. so detached again, which is an interesting idea. It, it didn't feel like it was a whole movie though. Um, I mean, I'll just leave it at that. Cause I want to just take all day. I, yeah. Um, I, the phrase I think of just real, real quick when I hear about yeah, this, movie, yeah, cause I've, fine. I've read about this movie and I, I, I'm fascinated by it, but I haven't seen it yet is the banality of evil. Which right. was used by right. Hannah Arendt to describe uh, the way maybe some ordinary Germans may have felt d- during the Holocaust, and, and and I guess it describes like how many people had to just sort of accept, or maybe even some be deliberately ignorant of, or mm-hmm. willfully blind to what was going willful, on. Willful ignorance. Yeah, and yeah. and so it's like there's atrocities and there's evil, and some people just sort of go, huh, you know, like. And this family, I didn't realize you kind of, they know what's going on, or at least they have a pretty good awareness and they just kind of benefit from it and they accept it and they go about their lives and try to lead, sounds like just lead somewhat normal life, you know, only a few feet from this camp. So it sounds kind of chilling. Um, I also noticed it was nominated. And some of the other critics, like we we talked about this in the, in the final vote and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of my peers were pretty high, very, very moved by it and, and and I don't like I said I wouldn't I wouldn't undercut that sentiment. I just didn't feel like you know. And and one thing for the sake of those who would like to see it, and I and I would say this is you know worth checking out. Um, without going into too much detail, there is an attempt toward the end to connect the the impassioned detached idea mm-hmm. to the modern day which I think gives it more of a message. Yeah. Um, still don't know. I mean, again, it's not my favorite foreign film from last year. So that would have good idea. Yeah. Definitely on the list, but not at the top. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I plan to see it. I, I know that I, I saw quite a few lists of people that did have it at the top and a lot of top 10 lists, but yeah, I, one of the things just to kind of circle back to these best picture nominees this is the first time in history that three of them are in languages other than English primarily. Mm, um, yeah. Normally it's only one, at least lately, you know, last eight, 10 yeah. years. Um, well, but, I agree, you know, yeah, I, I think that the movies that deserve notoriety from last year, a lot of them for me personally were, were foreign films or international films, non-English language, however you want to, want to call it what did you Um, what did you think and so this is uh, one of the ways you can really look now that we have 10 nominees for best picture one of the ways you can sort of predict who the real uh candidates are to win are you look at the best director and and Mm. so i was hoping celine song would get in there for past lives and she didn't yeah um yeah and the famous snub is greta gerwig she wasn't nominated um but interestingly she's the first person man or woman in history to have her first three films be nominated for best picture um with with lady bird and little women which is a pretty cool feat you know like yeah that is cool she's really never had a miss and they've made money like none of them have been like two million dollar box office all three of her movies have have 
turned a pretty good profit. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, she was left out. I mean, she's a producer on it. She or no, not well, a producer. She got she's a, a writer for the screen. You're right. She and Noah, her husband Noah Baumbach, yeah, um, wrote it. So you know, she'll still be there. They'll still have her on camera at the Oscars on March 10th. But she didn't get nominated. Yeah. Well, for director. I don't know. I. I guess you know, I'm okay with it. By one. the way, I don't think it was one of the best five. No, I, I don't either. Performance. Um, I my quick take on Barbie was that I really did appreciate some parts of it. I thought it was very funny in places, and it was it was not a movie like there are movies sometimes that I force myself to watch because I have to get through them because of the job or mm-hmm. you know the obligation. I didn't feel like I was just getting through Barbie. It was it was perfectly. It was entertaining. Entertaining. Yeah. Um, I appreciated some things they were trying to do with the message, but I felt like their message still kind of came across as a little convoluted. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at the end of the movie, usually people kind of got things figured out and the message is pretty clear, and I didn't feel like that was the case with this one. It still felt kind of muddled to me. Yeah. Um, and so in that sense, like, I think that the individual dialogue and stuff, I would say, oh yeah, sure, we're the nomination for best screenplay, but the story, no, no, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel like it stuck the landing the way it should have if it was going to be as big a deal as it was. And I, I, um, I have two different readings on the end, like on the very end of the movie, but we'll we'll have to talk about it off off air. But I, I, I did kind of like the ending. <laughs> it was weird at first, and then I realized, okay, I think I know what they were going for, but. Yeah, I um, it got a lot of and nominations then, though. Even though it didn't get best director, or best actress, it still got eight, eight noms. Well, and I mean, I get it. It's it's a very, it's a very distinctive movie. It had a lot of fun personality. It was very unique. It very it, it very much stood out from a lot of the other movies this year, and you know, it wasn't just that the other movies it was competing against weren't that great, but you know it there weren't a lot of movies this year that had the kind of personality that Barbie had. Right. And so it doesn't surprise me at all. And I, I wouldn't even disagree that it deserves that kind of merit. It's more like my, my biggest issue with it was that it very clearly wants to say things, but I didn't feel like it said things in a conclusive or clear enough way to really kind of knock it out of the park you know what i mean yeah like like okay well you almost kind of get the sense that they're still trying to figure things out too mm-hmm. which is fine you know maybe maybe that's maybe that's the message so maybe maybe ambiguity is okay sometimes yeah I, I think another reason that you got all these nominations for this as well as oppenheimer is generally the oscar telecast draws more viewers when they pick movies that made a ton of money and this is the two big movies of the summer, which is the first time this has happened in years. They get well, all, almost all the nominations. Um, Oppenheimer somehow made almost a billion dollars, and that got 13, which is one off the record. Yeah. So, And it's also predicted to win. Not just most nominations, but I think it's predicted to win a lot of the below-the-line categories, mm-hmm. um, uh, like technical categories, but also probably Best Picture and Best Director, Nolan, feels like his time so um yeah i, I mean <laughs> which isn't that a little weird though well like i mean i it is weird is it his time because the movie's good or because well, well i guess we nor, gotta finally nor, give him sometimes when now. i say that it's a career yeah sometimes when i say it's a career achievement oscar but i think this one is more legitimate yeah. i think most of the like critics and stuff kind of believe it probably is his best movie i don't think it is but i think it's it's up there. Um, I mean, for my favorites, you know, I just, I love the dark Knight, I love interstellar and I really liked Oppenheimer. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, and the other, the director ones Scorsese, we didn't talk about poor things, which mm-hmm. I haven't seen either. Yorgos Lanthimos and then Justin, Justine Trier for anatomy of a fall and Jonathan Glazer for the zone of interest. So yeah. Yeah. Kind of surprising. Well, and, you know, back back up to Best Picture for a second. Now, I did I did enjoy Oppenheimer, kind of like you said. Like I wouldn't say it was his best movie. Um, it was it was good. 
it wouldn't surprise me if it won best picture, but it wouldn't be, get my, it wouldn't get my vote. Um, I don't think it would, I think it would have been in my top 10 for last year, but not my top five. I think my top five probably would have remained intact. Um, American fiction was an interesting one. This, this is, this is more of a kind of a, I don't know if it's an indie movie or just kind of a, you know, or low key movie, but, uh, it's about a frustrated professor, um, go figure right oh like the holdovers <laughs> I, guess, I guess maybe that's maybe that's it and uh he well he's trying to get published and it's the whole thing is kind of about so so he's he's african-american um and is frustrated because another another black professor hits it big with a book that he feels is really pandering to a uh, a woke audience mm-hmm. and like because like playing up the blackness of it all right right yeah. she's you know the author's she's using a vernacular and wording and a style <laughs> that when that if it is not hers that she's she's basically pretending you know or, or just I don't know. It's without getting too I, deep into it. Because well, the, tra- the trailer that, gives it away. Like I've watched yeah. the trailer a bunch and I know exactly what you're saying. It's, it's right. these authors that aren't really like, they don't really speak Ebonics or they didn't really come from the hood. But when they write that way, it just wows like the New York liberal audience and, and all that. Well, right? And yeah. that's it. It's, it's, yeah. it's really kind of taking the piss out of, academia mm-hmm. and kind of high culture and and the idea of reinforcing stereotypes and playing on different sentiments and you know again i still didn't quite feel like the ending tied things off the way i would have liked it to mm-hmm. uh but it was it was pretty funny and you know the uh the actor of course i'm forgetting the actor's name uh he was he played I know he's been in other things, but I remember him as the CIA agent in the newest James Bond movies. He's the uh, oh Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, he was nominated yes. for best actor. Yeah, 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 and and deservedly so. He does a good job. Um, yeah, so I think that was all. I think that I think that covers all the best picture. Now, you mentioned best director. Um, you know. I we keep you keep talking yeah. about endings and i wanted to mention that i think like the endings of past lives is perfect okay on our production yeah. on our production meeting we should do a podcast of our favorite endings and just have a 100% spoiler warning like sure and say what movies we talk about and then do like our top endings like the way a movie has Absolutely. ended and maybe even like final shots versus like last scene you know kind of like because I, I, the past lives one, I keep thinking about that, and I'm so glad I bought it because I want to rewatch it at least, at least the ending. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, yeah, go on. No, that was a good one. That was well, and I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe before we don't get too far off it, um, there were a couple of movies that I saw for the final ballot vote that did not get nominated, um, but like one that probably would have cracked my top ten. Um, and I'm pretty sure we haven't talked about it previously was, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Oh, I have not seen that. Yeah. You haven't seen that one. Mm -mm. That movie is adorable. Yeah. It, it was such a, now I never, I, I know that I read some Judy Bloom books as a kid. I don't remember reading this one in particular. Um, the story is, I mean, it's, it's, it follows this 12 year old girl who's moved from the city to the suburbs and she's just kind of going into puberty and she's making new friends and all this just, you know, the awful middle school, junior high stuff is just crashing down around her. And it's played by the, the original daughter from the uh, Ant-Man movies. Oh, and yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize it was the same actress. Right. And then, uh, um, Rachel McAdams plays the mom and you know, the girl is, is trying to reconcile all this stuff. Plus she's kind of uh, grappling with her faith because, you know, neither of her parents are particularly religious, but they come from strong religious backgrounds. You know, one is Jewish, one is Christian and, and hence, hence the, the title, you know, because she's, 
you know, there's this theme of prayer mm-hmm. through the movie. And uh, no, it's just, like I said, it's an adorable movie. I loved it. I, I mean, I get it that it's probably not the kind of thing that's going to get the awards attention. Um, but that was, that was definitely one of my favorite movies. I'm really glad I finally saw that one. Cause I remember, I remember hearing about it when I was coming out and I missed the screening for some reason. And, uh, I think I might've been out of town during it or something. Uh, but, uh, always thought, Oh, that sounded good. And, and it just, uh, like I said, the girl from the Ant-Man movies was like the secret MVP of those movies mm-hmm. was first two. Um, so yeah, highly, highly recommend that one. But sadly, no love from the Academy. I know. I, I, uh, I had read that um, many were hoping for a, a Best Supporting Actress for uh, Rachel McAdams, a nomination. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Cool. So do you want to talk more about the specific nominations or do you want to talk about a, a theme that a friend of mine just brought up in a Facebook post? Let me do a few more of the nominations, and then maybe we could and close then, and then the theme. That. Okay. Yeah. Sounds so good. sounds good. Go ahead. I um I noticed just kind of as a nod to you, like one of your top five of the year got into the best international feature category, and that was Perfect Days. Um, yes. So you're probably hoping that one wins. I still haven't seen that one. I've heard good things about the Teachers Lounge as well. Like very good. Yeah, reviews. I hadn't heard of that one. And I I'll have to check that out. Yeah, and then um, best actor, it's probably going to be. Killian Murphy, but Paul Giamatti's been getting a lot of love. They both won Golden Globes because, as you know, they divide into two mm-hmm. categories there. There's drama and then, like, musical slash comedy. And so uh, there's a lot of love for Giamatti, but I think the Oppenheimer wave is coming. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, Best Actress, uh, you know, Margot Robbie was, was shut out, but it's probably going to come down to Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone. And I think that Lily Gladstone will get it. Which, by the way, we haven't really, so? we haven't really mentioned. Yeah, she's been winning a lot of awards. She's like really trending upward. But Emma Stone's performance apparently is really good. I just probably will not see that movie. But I think that. Um, so here, here's what I want to say. Like my my vote, by the way, would be Killers of the Flower Moon. Like when we were talking about Best Picture, I would love to see that one win. I don't think it will. Um, it's currently usually running about fourth now in like the the the, uh, the probability, like the odds. Um, but it's, it got a lot of nominations. Um, I think it had mm-hmm. 10, uh, and a few years ago, Scorsese's movie, the Irishman, which was a Netflix movie, not an Apple, uh, movie. It got 10 and it didn't win a single, single Oscar. Mm-hmm. I think killers might only win one. I think Lily Gladstone could be the only winner. Um, really? yeah, I mean, it has a lot of nominations, all, all the big ones other than screenplay, which is a little odd. But a lot of the big ones that you normally get with the big contending movies like Best Director, Best Picture, an acting nomination, that kind of thing. Um, and then the supporting actor and actress, uh, the it's probably Downey Jr. versus Gosling. And I noticed De Niro got nominated, which was really surprising yeah, to me. Yeah, I that saw that. De Niro got in and Lily Gladstone and my favorite performance from that movie didn't, which was DiCaprio. But anyway. Right, right. Um, and uh, so Downey Jr. probably is going to – that's kind of my prediction. You think so? Um, and then supporting actress is the lady Davine Joy Randolph. I thought it was Divine, right. but I've heard people say Davine. And it's uh, the, the lady from The Holdovers. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, And also America Ferrera was a surprise from Barbie. And then Emily Blunt, Oppenheimer. Nyad got two nominations. How much of, which, how much of the America Ferrera – no, oh. no. Um, but I was going to ask, how much of the America Ferrari nomination do you think came from the speech? 50%. I think so. <laughs> I mean, I, her... I kind of got that sense too. I mean, that it seems like that is one of the things, like if you were going to make like a short list of mm-hmm. the takeaways from Barbie, it seems like people really remember her speech towards the end as one That's of That's true. Things. Yeah. If you, were, if you were to ask the average moviegoer, like, the biggest speech or the most memorable or important speech of the year in a movie, that would probably be up there. That would probably be yeah. one of the top ones. And, I, and, and it's, I don't know. I mean, I didn't think there was anything special about the performance from America Ferrer, but she got nominated. Um, yeah. Well, it kind of reminded me it kind of reminded me of this um, 
there was, there is a famous uh, column, I guess, uh, that was published in Ms. Magazine back in the early 70s called Why I Want a Wife. Mm-hmm. And and of course, now that I'm, I'm bringing this up, I'm blanking on the author. Um, but I use this to kick off my composition classes. Oh. We use it as kind of a an analysis where, okay, what's the message here? What's the purpose? Who's the audience that she's writing to, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and basically the, the premise of the, the piece is to list all of the things that are expected of a modern day wife from the, from the, the angle of, well, I'd love to have somebody who did this and this and this and this and this, and just to kind of illustrate like how, unfair and unbalanced and unreasonable mm-hmm. these expectations are. And, and it, it kind of felt like Ferreira's monologue was a, it, you know, the 2023 cinematic version of, yeah. of that piece. Yeah. But uh, anyway, interesting. Um, just to, to inject a little semi-literary analysis. <laughs> good, good job. Yeah. So there's a few others. I mean, the, the editing. So, Best director Alexander Payne was left out, and and that's usually a hint yeah, on the big I movies. That too. Although not always. I mean, like sometimes a movie, like for example, Argo won Best Picture, and Ben Affleck wasn't even nominated for Best Director. So it's it there, it's happened. It's just not normal. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think Coda, I think Coda's director was left out, and Coda won Best Picture. So yeah, you could see a movie sneaking in there like Past Lives or The Holdovers, but it's just not real likely this year. I I um, doubt it. I'd be really surprised. Yeah, and then you know, best cinematography. I think Oppenheimer. And thing is, every time I look at these these categories and I see Oppenheimer in there, it's like I can't disagree with it. Like I don't know how it didn't get visual effects, but like the cinematography. The, the screenplay, the sound. I mean, there's just so much there. Um, Maestro, we didn't really talk about, but that's probably going to be one of those that's, you know, a lot of noms, no wins. Seven nominations, no wins, I guess. Um, and I don't really know anyone who loved that movie. Maestro? Yeah. Um, Even though I everybody kind of this. like respects the the performances and, and the right. makeup. I was most, I was even more impressed with the makeup than the performance. Every time I looked at, you know, Br- Leonard Bernstein, whether it was mm-hmm. old or young version, it was just, especially the old version, like the extra tan, like the white hair. I, it was, it was amazing. You could not see the seams. I mean, I couldn't, but yeah. What did you think of it? Did we, did we talk um, about Maestro? I believe so. Yeah. We might have touched on it briefly. My my t- my basic takeaway is that I was more impressed by the performances than the movie itself, mm-hmm. um, especially uh, uh, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, was uh, um, I thought I thought her performance was fantastic. Like that that really really jumped out at me. Yeah. In fact, there's did a- I say Carrie? Did I say Carrie Mulligan? Carrie Mulligan, I. Yeah. I agree with you. There's a um, scene that kind of made me emotional when she's really having some bad health problems, but kind of trying to hide it from uh-huh. her family. And I was unexpectedly moved by that because um, no, she's trying to be she, a trooper. She did a great job. She really did great. I, I mean, I was yeah. glad to see that she not got nominated and it was, but yeah, well, there was. And, and then the thing that I was most impressed with from Bradley Cooper's side was the scene, I think it's probably about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through, where they show him conducting like an entire piece. There's this orchestra and they're mm-hmm. in this this grand hall. And I want to say it's like a one big unbroken take. And it was, yeah. He's just into it. He's man. putting you his whole I, body into it. It's the Resurrection Symphony, uh, Mahler's Symphony yeah. in the London... Uh, and I heard that he just like trained for years because he's actually doing it. Yeah. Like he really learned how to do it the right, you know, the real way. And like that's that's the kind of stuff I'm going to remember from the movie. I'm not going to remember like, wow, what an incredible moving story or, or anything. It's more like there are some real great pieces. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's that long scene that ends with the Snoopy balloon floating by the window because mm. it's during the Macy's Day Parade mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff like that. But 
but like start to finish, I don't remember it being like, wow, that just, yeah. Again, like a, the conclusion of a satisfying story, you know? Well, and it's, and you're not meant to really like him either. It's like a warts and all biopic. He, you know, he's unfaithful. Not and... all, not all. Cause, uh, so I, before I saw this, I watched a documentary about Tom Wolfe. Oh. And one of Tom Wolfe's famous pieces was basically he crashed a party that was thrown by Bernstein. And he wrote this scathing piece about it because they were there and they were hosting it. And they had like members of the Black Panther Party there and they were trying to raise money for him. And they really kind of, I think, I guess I would have to say that the wolf piece was doing the same thing that the American fiction movie was doing in terms of trying to kind of dig into uh, pandering culture and stuff like that. And uh, I was watching Maestro wondering, I wonder if they're actually going to talk about this because it seems like it's trying to be pretty respectful and they probably aren't going to want to pick at that. Mm. that uh that event because there was there was no mention of it but but that is a pretty infamous episode from uh from his history that was not covered oh interesting and i think that's going to do it for episode 70 of the utah film pod mark thanks as always thank you dear listener for uh sticking with us and uh, we look forward to a new year's worth of various episodes talking about hopefully some really good movies yeah so until the next one take care